and gently just come back to the room that you're in. And perhaps slowly give your neck some rolls and gently open your eyes. And if uh, you want to take a, a moment to get up and stretch or something, please do so. I know it's always hard for me to kind of, uh, yeah, just snap back into things. So take a moment to come back to. And so for, again, those of you who are um, maybe just joining uh, the group, um, my name is Eli. Um, I'm a resident priest here at San Francisco Zen Center, uh, formerly Olani, Lai, <coughs> excuse me, Olani um, Land. And um, uh, currently I serve as uh, the, the corporate secretary uh, for Zen Center. Um, for those of you who may be uh, just joining us, we just got done uh, sitting and now I'm gonna uh, speak for about 20 minutes or so, uh, followed by uh, some time for Q&A. And then after that, for those of you who wanna stick around and have some conversation amongst each other, we'll do um, some break up into to some small groups for that. So uh, before we get started tonight, um, uh, or as we get started tonight, I wanted to, to begin by um, referencing a, an exchange that uh, Suzuki Roshi, our, our founder here at San Francisco Zen Center, had with a student um, after a Dharma talk. And so uh, Suzuki, Suzuki Roshi as, um, was speaking, got done, and then uh, the student said, Suzuki Roshi, I've been listening to your lectures for years, but I just don't understand. Could you please put it in a nutshell? Can you reduce Buddhism to one phrase? Everybody laughed, Suzuki Roshi laughed. And then he replied, everything changes. And then asked for the next question. So I, I feel that Suzuki Roshi's uh, reply uh, was an appropriate response, distilling the fundamental truth of Buddhism that everything changes. Um, and so that's part of what uh, inspired tonight's talk. The other part I'll get to in a moment. Um, so thinking back, it was a, a year ago tomorrow that uh, Shelter in Place started in San Francisco. Um, it was the first day that Zen Center uh, ever closed its door to, to doors to the public. Um, it was the first day that residents stopped sitting zazen together in the meditation hall. Um, and then that same night, I gave the the first talk here at um, Yuz on Zoom. And so I was reflecting on how much changes came over the year, and uh, totally just realized how much I honor. Uh, that teaching from Suzuki Roshi, that everything changes. And uh, personally over this year, and I, I, many of my friends and perhaps all of you have felt some type of kind of support or maybe have found refuge um, in appreciating uh, kind of these uh, moment to moment um, bits of life. Um, the, and the more I value these things, then, then I'm not spending 
my time um, really planning. And in part that's because there's so much uncertainty in the world, um, but more so I, what I'm finding during kind of this whole pandemic thing is I'm finding gratitude in these small places that I had overlooked when I had my uh, pre-pandemic freedom. And now that the pandemic is kind of, well, trending in the right direction, um, I'm noticing that my, plan my planning mind, um, the one that I had thought I had calmed down some, is actually picking back up. And now that I'm noting that that's happening, um, it re reminded me of one of the most frequently asked Dharma questions um, or questions that I've received in Q and A, uh, which is in regarding to, to, to planning. So that's how I um, came up with the other part of the, uh, the title of the talk. So how does planning go together with this concept of being fully present that is emphasized in Buddhism? Um, how does one engage with the desire to think about their future well-being or success? How do we hold the paradox of living in the present and our planning mind? Um, and as the last year has, has taught us, or at least taught me, um, things change. And if you're like me, uh, even if you had kind of a relatively planned out life, I mean, I'm a monastic, um, still I noticed that uh, my plans or what I perceived were my plans were definitely impacted. And so the question exists, how can someone practice being present every moment and plan for the future? As far as I know that there's nothing uh, against planning or that opposes planning in Buddhism um, or Zen. It's more so just our relationship with the plans that cause us suffering. Um, it's the attachment, it's the energy that we place on the outcome of things. It's the way that we have this kind of tendency not to connect um, or maybe bypass our moment to moment experience of life because we're waiting for some plan to come true. Um, or we're just simply distracted because we feel our plan has went askew. Um, so I felt that I would kind of name maybe three pitfalls. Um, I don't know if I like to relate to them as, as pitfalls because again, I don't, I don't want to uh, project that planning is bad, um, but there are kind of three mistakes that I at least make um, when engaging with plans. Uh, so the, the first one was waiting uh, to live life and missing all the beauty along the way. So I don't know if any of, out you, or any of you out there have uh, seen the new Pixar movie, Soul. All right, so uh, the main character who is voiced by Jamie Foxx is this jazz artist who really has went kind of throughout primarily his adult life um, feeling a disconnect because he was not where he planned to be, um, you know, a famous musician. And so he just missed out on smelling all the roses. And so, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I'm at least like that. There's times where I've had this kind of idea of how uh, things are supposed to be and I've postponed acknowledging the rest of my life um, because I haven't gotten to that point. Um, another uh, kind of pitfall of, of planning is putting off your current needs um, by planning for the future. And so, I checked that this out with my my wife first. So I'm not just um, you know putting on on blast on uh, your Zoom, but uh, she uh, considers herself a serial planner. And what she found is rather than giving herself what she needs at any given moment, 
she'll actually plan for it. So for instance, she will feel like she needs more nature in her life and then instantly get on the computer, plan a trip up north to get outdoors a couple of weeks away. And um, you know, while that's good to get away, the, the true matter of it is she actually needed uh, a walk right then. Um, she needed to get up, maybe get into some nature. And uh, of course, that's not what she did. She planned the, the time away. And I bet you can guess what happens on the flip side. We get to the cabin and she's already kind of thinking or pre-planning the stuff that she needs to do for work when she returns. So it's kind of like this inner energy thing with planning. We can tend to plan our way out of our present experience with something we need down the road. And really what we're doing is we're just kind of chucking our, our present need down the road. We get down the road and we're chucking again. So we actually get to maybe our destinations or we meet our plans, but we still feel um, this disconnect. And so uh, the third uh, pitfall that I, I wanted to bring up is um, the fact that we can get kind of stuck in a plan. And because of that, we're not able to deepen or, or learn outside of um, things that have to, to do with that plan. Let me try to be clear about this. So um, when we're too attached to our plan, we often can't see beyond what impacts our plan. So something that, that comes up to mind, or maybe an example is uh, people's diversity efforts. So I think that in the modern world today, regardless of what sector you're in from corporate to nonprofit, if you are thinking about maybe your career, your profession, you know, you should be woke or, you know, there's this emphasis to have a, a certain amount of um, gravitation towards, towards diversity um, efforts. But the problem with that is usually if people either get to a set place or the surrounding pressures to, to be that way go away, um, they lose that, that, uh, that diversity lens in their life, um, not only in their interactions, but more so in their mind when no one's looking. Ooh, I know a better example of that actually, relationships or marriage. So that's totally something we, we plan we all have an idea maybe of the type of relationship we wanna be in. And, um, you know, for me in, in marriage, I had this idea. It wasn't white picket fence, but you know, something, a house and some things, but you get there and quickly realize that uh, relationships take so much more. Um, it requires meeting a partner again and again, again, this moment by moment, day to day. Um, and so simply because we've checked off a plan, it, you know, um, it doesn't mean we don't have other work to do. So um, overall kind of what I'm, I'm proposing is plans as we typically think about them can validate a sense of control or predictability to our life. Um, however, I think I don't have to encourage you all to understand after this last year that um, things can be quite fragile. So um, time for a Suzuki Roshi teaching. And um, the, the teaching I'm going to share, he refers to enlightenment, um, which is in, in a sense, a form of spiritual planning, right? I mean, our plans are kind of like goals. And that's in the spiritual sense, kind of, I see it as, as most people's maybe ultimate goal, even though it is supposed to be moment by moment. 
but anyhow, I'll just kind of hold that um, frame of reference um, as I get into this real Zen. My Bodhisattvas. Um, so the, the chapter is uh, nothing special from Zen Mind Beginner's Mind. Um, I was given feedback to not read a whole chapter. It'll put people to sleepy eye and, and just don't do it. But I, I like a lot of this, so forgive me if I, if I get into it um, tonight. Um, and again, to me, this speaks towards how to engage with our life, our practice, um, and really how to meet this question about planning, being present, um, and uh, yeah, let's enjoy these teachings. So nothing special. If you continue this simple practice every day, you will obtain something wonderful, something powerful. Before you attain it, it's something wonderful. But after you attain it, it is nothing special. And I'm gonna skip some words here. Um, strictly speaking, for a human being, there's no other practice than this practice. There's no other way of life than this way of life. Then practice is the direct expression of our true nature. And so to, um, in a sense that I think what he's starting out to say here is really a practice or our practice is not something that can ex be experienced in the forward thinking mind or can't be experienced in the present. So he continues, of course, whether we do the expression of our true nature, wait, excuse me, Suzuki Roshi's broken uh, English kind of trips me up sometimes. Of course, whatever we do is the expression of our true nature, but without this practice, it is difficult to realize. It is our human nature to be active and the nature of every existence. As long as we are alive, we're always doing something. But as long as you think I'm doing this, or I have to do this, or I must attain something special, you're not actually doing anything. When you give up, when you no longer want something, or when you do not try to do anything special, then you do something. When there is no gaining idea of what you do, then you do something. In Zazen, what you're doing is not for the sake of anything. You may feel as if you're doing something special, but actually it is only the expression of your true nature. It is the activity which appeases your most inner or your innermost desire. But as long as you think you are practicing Zazen for the sake of something, that is not true pra practice. All right, so we'll go back to that in a moment. So part of the hang up, I think for me, at least when I used to hear these teachings, I would sit there and wonder, so am I supposed to never attain anything? Should I not want to be successful? Don't I have to plan for things? It kind of sounds like I'm supposed to be a Zen blob in my Buddha nature. I don't think that's exactly what he meant, um, but how I think what I would bring up is how often are we missing the present moment uh, because we're caught in a pattern of planning, rearranging, strategizing, 
expectation building, pondering, considering rewards, pluses, minuses, comparing, covering, up, avoiding, the list goes on. Um, but we do it to our present moment experience. Um, we rarely allow ourselves the opportunity to just fully get dressed in the morning, to be fully present for a conversation with another human being. Um, and this impacts the way that we work, we think, we feel, and we process things. We do this um, to the point where we perhaps can't actually plan in a useful way. So the encouragement uh, for, for Zen or for Buddhism is not to stop your thinking or planning. That's impossible. Um, the question remains, how can we live with uh, less attachment or, over or overwhelm to the things that we think and perceive as plans and expectations? Um, so let me turn back to the teachings. He says, if you continue this simple practice, every day you'll obtain a wonderful power. Before you attain it, it's something wonderful. But after you obtain it, it's nothing special. It's just, your, it's just you yourself, nothing special. It is a kind of mystery that for people who have no experience of enlightenment, enlightenment is something wonderful. But if they attain it, it's nothing. But yet it's not nothing. Do you understand? For a mother, having children is nothing special. That is Zazen. So if you continue this practice, more and more you acquire something, nothing special, but nevertheless something. And perhaps it would be wise to treat your plans in the same way. Um, to continue on your path, the closer you get to a goal or a plan, but just treat it uh, as nothing special. Treat what you're acquiring as nothing special. Uh, one of the emphasis in Zen is every moment is special. Um, so don't, don't pull yourself away um, in that, that, that trick that we do where we value this one portion or idea of our life over the whole entirety of it. Um, so if you do this, uh, you know, I think that your plans will actually have less of a chance of outweighing your ability to, to be present. So Suzuki Roshi is encouraging us to practice embodiment, pure embodiment in all we do, moment to moment, expressing our true nature. So again, I, I want to relate this to our conditioning and why we have maybe such an emphasis on planning rather than um, meeting the, the moment with an open mind. So. Um, any of you have heard me speak before, you know, there was only a matter of time before I brought in my uh, greatest teacher, um, my three-year-old daughter, Maya, uh, into, the, into the talk. So I wanted to share an example of how I think disembodiment may be something that, that we learn at an at a early age. So the uh, school that Maya goes to, or the nursery, is very progressive, uh, progressive uh, childcare developers that we love. And um, often they'll have these kind of situations where they're observing us as parents. Excuse me. And so there was this one time where I was, it was about two years ago, actually, I was, no, my head's only three, maybe a year and a half. I was playing in a sandbox with Maya and 
all of a sudden I saw this like little trail of ants. And it wasn't just like regular ants. This is something she'd never seen. I mean, there was, they were carrying leaves, little bits of food. I think one was playing a horn, talking to an ants are coming, marching in by one, by one. And I was like, Maya, Maya, look. I thought I was like cool National Geographic dad. Look at the, look at this, look at these ants. Look at their, look what they're carrying. What do you think they're doing? What do you think they're up to? Are, are they going to build a home? Are they going to get some food? Do you think they're hungry? And so anyways, um, and I don't know what we did with the answer or how that ended, but a little bit later, uh, teacher Heidi checked in with me and said how much she appreciated my enthusiasm with Maya. And, um, you know, that was warm, nice to her. And she said, can I give you some constructive feedback? I'm like, of course, you know, like anything, teacher Heidi. And she said that um, I noticed that, uh, immediately after I asked her that initial question about, hey, do you see the ants or what do you think they're doing? Before she even answered, I started filling in, you know, with these plans that, that the ants could be doing. I really just started shaping her discovery uh, without letting her. So I know this is a very like small example, but I think this is what happens to us overwhelmingly as we develop all the way into adulthood and, and beyond. So what, what Maya's uh, preschool and her teachers encourage, they actually have us um, teach them 12 different senses. So it's, I mean, it's really amazing, but they, their encouragement is to let children grow um, into, their, into their development um, and really just meet themselves where they are moment by moment, again, in an embodied way before jumping into thought, planning and expectation. So, um, again, in this instance, I was not letting Maya kind of meet this new situation with open eyes. Um, I mean, I know it's hard for us to imagine, but if you were really to see that for a first time, like allowing, I did not allow her body to catch up with the magnificence and marvel of what was going on before I, I started filling it uh, in the blanks. So I was not letting her imagination or her embodied knowledge meet her current experience. And when we do this over and over and over again, letting other forces in our own shape our perspective, we may feel a sense of disconnect um, from our moment to moment experience and what we think we, or where we think we uh, should be. So, you know, all of a sudden we're in elementary school uh, with plans that exceed our embodied experience. Um, you know, we're not focused on, you know, feelings or, uh, emotional intelligence, you know, but we're, we're more worried our senses are going to uh, hearing words about college and what we want to be when we grow up. So, um, yeah, we've been, I feel, raised to plan in a disembodied way, and that's going to be a really hard or near impossible uh, habit to break. However, just with all forms of, of practice and conditioning, we can learn to recognize when that's happening, maybe recognize, like if Kat would have recognized, oh, I just need to walk in nature um, or recognize when we're starting to drift or to go into stories more than make sense, just gently as we were in, in our sitting, come back to the body, come back to the breath and try to settle into a more fuller sense of, of presence and a sense of wholeness. So, um, Back to Suzuki Roshi for a couple more words and, and then we'll be done. So.
When there is no Buddha nature, there is nothing at all. Something apart from Buddha nature is just delusion. It may exist in your mind, but such things do not actually exist. So to be a human, or to be a human being is to be a Buddha. Buddha nature is just another name for human nature, our true human nature. Thus, even though you do not, thus, even though you do not do anything, you're actually doing something. You're expressing yourself. You're expressing your true nature. Your eyes will express it. Your voice will express it. Your demeanor will express it. The most important thing is to express your true nature in the simplest, most adequate way and to appreciate it in the smallest existence. While you're continuing this practice week after week, year after year, your experience will become deeper and deeper and your experience will cover everything you do in your everyday life. So again, that embodiment, you know. Um, the most important thing is to forget all gain, gaining ideas, all dualistic ideas. Again, the most important thing is to forget all gaining ideas, all dualistic ideas. In other words, just practice Zazen in a certain posture. Do not think about anything. Just remain on your cushion without expecting anything. Then eventually you will resume, resume your own true nature. That is to say, your own true nature resumes itself. So how can someone practice being present in every moment and plan for the future? Simple. Be present and plan for the future. Just not to the, to the point uh, that you leave the present moment. Um, and if you do, it's okay. Just gently remind yourself to come back and take full care and attend to the present moment. Yeah, there's, yeah, I don't think there's anywhere else to go. And then when everything changes, you should have a plan. And we should try to do some Q&A. So we'll, we'll go ahead and transition uh, 